Okay. I'm Brenda Ballinger here with Ready Row USA podcast. I'm with Jenny Withicombe, and she's just finished her presentation on cultural humility. And we have a couple of questions that we've chatted about here. Um, uh, one, one of the thoughts is that yesterday we heard from the women who brought rowing into the, the the women's aspect in 1976 and what that was like for them to be the, the first ones in the boathouses without bathrooms for women's or women's rooms and um, and to have both men supporting that and saying yes come on and let me coach you as well as men saying we don't want you to be here at all and how that can still apply today in diversity equity and inclusion and how we are able to um, change that in our little boathouses on our smaller teams throughout the country. So is there a thought that you have that you can share with us? Yeah, I think that, you know, the history of rowing has, has been very male dominated. And even with um, rowing being added to a lot of women's college programs through Title IX and things like that, um, the number of female rowers has increased dramatically, but I think there still is this this ethos that this is still a man's world, not only sport, but rowing in particular. And so I think that, you know, calling, calling out that the men's teams and the women's teams are equally valued um, and the subtle things that people can do to ensure that that's felt, that we're getting equal coaching time, that we're getting equal you know, quality of coach you know, um, even subtle things that happen around the boathouse that, that can create a more inclusive space for women. Um, you know, whether that's, you know, music or making a personal invitation to the women to join an event that, you know, traditionally maybe only has the, the men. As I said in my talk, you know, when I first joined my master's my current master's club, it was mostly only the men who came to the erging sessions. And so I just started showing up and uh, that was a transition for them. And it was a shift, um, you know, to have a woman present and they weren't unkind, but I definitely felt like an outsider to get started until I started to kind of just you know, push my way in in a nice way. Um, but I think, you know, we have to be really helpful about what are some of the messages that we send out um, both as male athletes but also as those who kind of structure the culture. I was also really intrigued by all of the different ways of diversity that we need to pay attention to. Can you address that long list? Yeah so I mean I think that you know sport, well, sport but also rowing has the history of being white, upper class, male sport. Um, and so when we think of changing the landscape of rowing, we're thinking about sex, we're thinking about sexuality, we're thinking about race, economics, ability. Um, you know, those are all just a few of the ways that we could, we really need to, to change the sport of rowing because it is very homogeneous. And although there's been kind of starts and stops of making those changes, we really haven't made any real sustainable shifts in the sport. And I think that um, we need to be thinking about all of these different aspects of diversity. A lot of times people say diversity and they go straight to race. And that is one one place where rowing is lacking, but it's not the only place, right? Um, you know, like I said, economics, ability, all of that is 
as a need for shifting mentality. And then you also talked about the diversity of, uh, I'm sorry, the the, uh, the change of bringing diversity into the boathouse, but then maintaining it. And that's the second and really critical, important part. Yeah, so when, when people think about diversity, they, they often think about numbers, and they just think about changing the number of people who represent any particular group where they feel like they're lacking. And that is, it's kind of putting the cart before the horse, because when the, that person or that group joins, the experience that they're having, the quality of their experience, if it's not positive, they're not going to stay. And so we can't actually retain the numbers. And so the numbers never grow. They just stay low and the same we just kind of recycle through people because they're not having a quality experience and they don't want to be at a place where they don't feel included and so inclusion is really where i like to tell people to start is that if you can create a safe and supportive environment where someone feels valued and heard and a part of it then you will attract the numbers you know but if you start with numbers it's it's really hard to change you know, when you're just focusing on the numbers, it's better to start about thinking about your culture and what needs to shift and then bring folks in and hope that they will uh, help you continue to change the culture and then that will sustain and build. And how uncomfortable that change can be for the people that are uh, already in the boathouse and on the team. Yeah. Um, it sounds to me like you want to have the, the, the new population that's coming in to help you figure out how to continue that change. Is that is that uh, a message or how do you do that? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think there are definitely some folks who you know are invested in that kind of work already and, and can, can but I think it, it really does help to have young uh, new members that can help facilitate that change because I mean, you know, coming from a master's perspective, um, you know, it's it's a whole new world, and our young people are much more savvy at navigating it, navigating all the diversity that is out there than we are oftentimes, and so they can be a great lead for us, um, and then we can be good leads for those of us who are in our similar age groups and older. So, like, I have some, you know, young members in their teens. They can set a great example, and then I can support their example that then sets an example for my members that make them older. Um, and so it, it kind of, you know, we want to grow that, um, the number of folks who set the example. Because I know with masters, like, you know, they, they sometimes they look at our 20-year-olds and they're like, ah, they're young, you know, they don't know. Um, and so that way, if those of us can also mirror that change, then I think it spreads it more evenly through the clubs. So we're going to work from the top down with the administration and from the bottom up with the new and then in the middle to try to yeah. affect the <laughs> from change. From all sides. <laughs> so the last question is um, a little bit different. If you can just give us an idea of what your perfect stroke is. Oh, my perfect stroke. Oh, wow. Or a perfect, the, the perfect stroke. The perfect stroke. The perfect stroke. Well, I'm a stroke C. Uh huh. So it's my stroke. <laughs> it's um, oh, nice. Uh, so I am. My perfect stroke. It's really hard to describe in words because I think as a stroke C, um, I feel the perfect stroke versus actually mentally executing it. So okay. I do tend to be uh, a quick hand as I was trained um, and then uh, really just a glide forward that that is all um, momentum from the boat 
So I'm not pulling myself up. We have had a strong enough drive that the boat just runs out underneath me. And then as we, you know, we come into the catch, we just lift. It's a nice, quick um, catch. It's, I like the feeling um, when you get a little bit of that, um, it's not check, but you almost feel like your oar is catching the water. It's where you get that backsplash. It's just a little tug and then a, just a really powerful drive. Um, and I, uh, I tend to be uh, a lot of layback, so I like a nice long stroke. I like to be long into the catch um, with a, you know, kind of a one to two ratio, a one count drive and a two count up into the catch. Um, let's go rope. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Jenny. I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Okay. Thank you. Um, Hold on a second. Um, Hold on a second.